Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. A-U-N. American Underground Network. The primary reason why the individual citizens of a country create a political structure is a subconscious wish or desire to perpetuate their own dependency relationship of childhood. Simply put, they want a human God to eliminate all risk from their life, pat them on the head, kiss their bruises, put a chicken on every dinner table, clothe their bodies, tuck them into bed at night, and tell them that everything will be all right when they wake up in the morning. This public demand is incredible, so the human god, the politician, meets incredibility with incredibility by promising the world and delivering nothing. So who is the bigger liar, the public or the godfather? All revolutions have been led by young people. If you just think of the TV images of whether it's Tiananmen Square or whether it's the uh, revolts in Central America or Europe, it's the young people, it's the college people who are more principled and not locked in and they're not embedded with the government. They are the ones who are concerned about the future because the future is there. My research has shown at this point that the future laid out for us may be just about impossible to change. I do not agree with the means by which the powerful few have chosen for us to reach the end. I do not agree that the end is where we should end at all. But unless we can wake the people from their sleep, nothing short of civil war will stop the planned outcome. It's the American Underground Network Collective Consciousness Show with Jim Condon, Jr. in Cincinnati, Ohio, Fred Smart in Evanston, Illinois, Steve Harris in Charlotte, North Carolina, now, live from Portland, Oregon, your host, Dee Dee Farrell. Hello, everyone. I'm having it hard to believe it's already past the middle of June. I mean, the middle of uh, the month. It's where summer solstice today, June 21st. So we're officially in summer, and some of you are having really hot weather. We're mild here in Portland. Fred is gone once again this week. He will be back. And we have uh, Anthony J. West with us, who's an author and a, a financial strategist, very interesting individual, very nice man. And uh, we've got him on and uh, our other listeners. And so he's, uh, he's an interesting fellow. Uh, he's got an undergraduate degree in philosophy and history from Loyola University in L.A. and then from Loyola Marymount. Uh, he spent two years in a, a, Nor- a Norbertine monastery and extensive studies in Augustatine spirituality and Thomistic philosophy, which I find interesting myself. And he completed his studies in graduate theology at the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas in Rome, Italy, and is currently the president of St. Joseph's Men's Society. 
And before we started the call and pre-show, he was uh, Al was asking him about where else he he went to school, and he's going to talk to us about some of his uh, background. And we want to hear how he uh, was stopped in his process of becoming a Catholic priest, and uh, is uh, has his uh, traditions that he follows now. He's well studied in mystical theology and particularly the paranormal, normal, and demonology, and it's a lot of subjects. He's got two amazing published works, and for his uh, living, he's a financial strategist assisting people, he says, to save, protect, and grow their money with no market risk. And of course, those of you who know Al Jordan, Rose Lear, and some of those that are into cryptocurrencies have been exploring those issues currently, and uh, I'm sure in the past. So we're going to have a shorter version tonight of our time with Anthony West, and then we're going to let Fred Fred come back, and uh, you know how well he'll do with this subject. He's uh, very much more uh, versed than um, I would be in the details of some of these issues that Anthony's uh, an expert at. So welcome, Anthony. Welcome to our 553rd uh, weekly show (laughs) (laughs) from San Jose, California. And I'll let you... uh, I'll let you go there, and you can just go ahead and tell us about yourself and maybe what Al Jordan was asking you about um, the universities and places you went to school. I, I forget if that's what we were talking about, and we asked you to hold mm-hmm. off on that. <laughs> right. Well, I, so I went to school. So I knew from a pretty early age that – there was a revolution going on in the Catholic Church. I, I understood it. I saw it. My mom, who was not um, well educated in terms of book learning, because she was 80% blind when she was by the time she was 21 years old, so she she missed a lot of school and um, and was un, uh, unable to. Uh, get the education that I was able to get. But she was intuitive in her knowledge and she knew she knew a tremendous amount just from observation of the world around her. And uh she would constantly tell me that, you know, the communists were everywhere and I said I said under every bush and she would say, "Yes, under every bush." So I would go outside and look under the bushes to see if the communists were there and I go, they're not there. And she says, Oh no, they're there. You just can't see them. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, um, all of this taking place, I saw a revolution in the Catholic church because I grew up when it was still the Latin mass. I mean, I was a young boy, but I still, I was fascinated at that time. I was fascinated by the Latin mass. I would stand. I remember as a, as a three-year-old, four-year-old little boy, I would stand on the kneeler and I would just be mesmerized by the beauty of the mass, even when I was a little kid. So when they took it away, I observed the horror that was taking place throughout uh, all my my family and all my, you know, uh, relations and friends, (coughs) excuse me. And I was, uh, I, I, 
saw what they went through with these changes because you have to understand there had been no changes in the Catholic Church. <laughs> Everything had been the same, especially in terms of the Mass. Everything had been the same for over 500 years. Nothing was different. You could go to the Mass in J- Japan. You could go to the Mass in China. You could go to the Mass in um in uh, France, you can go to the Mass in the United States, and you would be going to exactly the same Mass, and you would know exactly what was happening, because you had your Missal. The Missal was in Latin on one side and English on the other, and you could follow the Mass exactly what was going on. I remember in my first Holy Communion, I got a little Missal, and it told me exactly what was happening at the Mass during those portions of the Mass that seem seem to be hidden, but in fact are very open and, uh, and visible. So this is, this is the milieu in which I grew up. When I was going to go to college and I had, I had decided that I, that I really believed that I was being called to the priesthood, uh, and I could, I mean, that's a book in itself of the various incidents that took place. But when I was convinced that this was my calling, I said, I'm not going to go to a seminary because I knew that they were just like infested with, with modernism and, and uh, secularism. So what I did was, and this is all because, by the way, this is all because of the Second Vatican Council and the revolution that took place in 1963 through 1965 that literally was a schismatic act within the institutional church itself. It was a schism, a break, if you will, between the traditional Catholic Church that had always existed from the time of the apostles until then. And then there was a break, and that break was a complete change, a complete turnaround of everything under the guise of updating. We're going to update the church. We're going to modernize the church. We're going to make it more accessible to the world. And so John Paul, uh, I mean, uh, Pope John the 23rd said, let's go out and let's embrace the world. Well, see, the world is a tar baby. The world is a tar baby that when you embrace it, you get smeared with all the tar. And, and anybody with a brain understood this. But this had been taking place for over 30 years before because of a directive. Well, now, wait a minute. I'm I'm wrong. It had actually been taking place 200 years before with the the secret societies and the Freemasons in particular who were bent on the destruction of the Catholic Church. But they didn't want to destroy it completely. What they wanted to do was infiltrate it and use it 
for their own agenda of a one-world one government. This was their intention. We have letters that were, that were taken off of people who were dead and who were taking those letters to, to higher-ups in, the, um, in these secret societies. Uh, you can find those. You can find one of those letters, a very specific letter. It's called the Alta Vendita. The Alta Vendita. You can look it up on Google. Alta Vendita, and this letter was uh, discovered. It was sent to the Vatican, and the Pope at the time wrote an encyclical. Specifically on this letter that was written by the Carbonari, who was an, they were an Italian secret society. They were um, uh, Freemasons, but you know they were all they were all secular. And what they wanted to do was to change society and create a society that would ultimately permeate the Catholic Church with their secularist ideas, one of which is tolerance. You tolerate everything, evil. You tolerate anything that's bizarre and weird, you tolerate it because we're the brotherhood of man. Man is the center of all things. Man is the one thing that we should focus on. And so their attempt was ultimately to use the Catholic Church to rebuild the Tower of Babel. This is, ah. this is and, and if you read their literature and everything else, this is what they constantly are talking about. Now, that was 200 years before the infiltration of the, the communists, who are basically the same thing. They're, the, they're, they're a, a, a child of Freemasonry, just uh, uh, just as evolution is a child of Freemasonry, all of it is is mixed in together. But um, and you will notice that Marxism is based on evolution, so all of it is all of it is tied together. And what they did was the the uh, the Politburo in Russia sent out a mes- message to all of the communist chapters throughout the world in every country of the world that they were to try and find the most radical and the most liberal uh, uh, people they could, young people they could, and infiltrate them into the Catholic Church. So in the United States alone, and we know this from uh, Bella Dodd, the, do, you, do you know who Bella Dodd was? I don't. I bet you Fred would, but I certainly don't. I'm sorry. Okay. So, so well, this is really important because historically it's, it's really important to know. Bella okay. Dodd was, was one of the leading communists in the Communist Party of America. And she, would, she was a lawyer. And she was slated that if the Communist Party ever, you know, obtained office or ever became, you know, got into the presidency, that she was slated that she would be the Attorney General of the United States. That's that's where her position was. Oh, and okay. So, 
And so she was way up there. Well, when they received this directive from Moscow to infiltrate the seminary, the Catholic seminaries, uh, they were able to, uh, now she wasn't directly involved, but she knew that this was happening. She had her underlings and uh, other people doing this. Um, they, they directly infiltrated 1,100 men into the seminaries in the United States alone. They did this in every country. So it wasn't just the United States. They did this in Germany and France and Italy. Everywhere they did this. And so what happened was these guys got into, and they were, they were trained to be the most pious, the most, the most obedient, the most well-learned of the, of the uh, seminarians so that they could get through. And, they, and then once they became priests, they would, they would infiltrate into the schools, into the seminaries, and they would become the professors in the seminaries. And then they, these, some of these priests would become bishops, and then those bishops would uh, ordain other radicals into the priesthood. And this is how they did it. This was in 1933 this was set, set out. Wow. And by 1963, it was already, it was, a, it, was a, it, was, it was a pustule coming to a head, waiting to explode. And what exploded was the Second Vatican Council, which undermined all of the tradition of the church. But they did it subversively as they do it in the United States and as they do it in every other government of the world, they just slowly take over and they say the same words, but they mean something completely different than what those words actually mean. And so it was a a complete secularization and destruction of the Catholic faith from within. Now, it's very interesting. Because in, in the 1950s, 19, I think it was 1949, Bella Dodd was converted to the Catholic faith by Bishop Sheen. Now, we all know who Archbishop Sheen is, right? You've heard of Archbishop Sheen. He used I've to heard have, of him. Yeah, okay. he, 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 he had a television show. He had a television show. One of the one of the first television shows on television in the 1950s. As a matter of fact, he was, uh, he was run against Milton Berle, and Milton Berle was losing um, people because everybody was tuning into Bishop Sheen. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so he was instrumental, and he was a real anti-communist. Oh my gosh! It, you, all you have to do is look up Bishop Sheen and communism on YouTube, and there are you know there are countless uh, uh, little YouTube videos where he talks about uh, communism. But anyway, he converted her, and he converted a couple of other of these top communists, and they converted, and then she went around, and in 1952. She was telling everybody, this is 1952, she was telling everybody, look, we infiltrated these guys into the, into the seminaries in the, in, in the United States. 
She said, and throughout the world. And in 20 years, in 20 years from now, you will not recognize the Catholic Church. It will have changed so radically that you will not recognize the Catholic Church. And I can tell you this as a matter of truth, that if somebody from the 1940s were transported in time to a, to a, uh, uh, a parish in any of the dioceses in the United States and were to walk into a, into a quasi, uh, quote-unquote, Catholic church, uh, and see a mass, they would say, absolutely not. You're lying to me. This cannot be the Catholic faith. I do not believe it. I will not believe it. And if you took that same person in the 1940s and you transported them back to the 1500s and they went to mass in Rome, they would say, well, this is the mass. And the Mass in Rome was being celebrated in the 500s exactly the same as it's being celebrated now in the traditional Latin Mass that's celebrated in all these pockets throughout the world. So that's, that's just to give you a, a, a real short overview, historic overview, of mm-hmm. what was going on in the Catholic Church and what I intuitively understood and so I didn't go into a seminary, but I went to Loyola University where I knew I could still find Catholic priests teaching the faith. Now, it was, it was, the, it was what we call the Novus Ordo Church, the New Order Church that was permeating everything. I was right in the middle of the revolution when I was at, when I was at Loyola. And but there were still these these stalwart Jesuits who were so imbued with the faith that they still maintained that faith. And I was able to get a really good Catholic education there. That's impossible now. You cannot go to Loyola University and get a Catholic education. But you so, can get but, educated, but not Catholic education. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Catholic. I mean, in other words. I, I have a, a, a niece who went to one of these, um, I mean, went to Loyola, and uh, she went into theology. She wanted to learn theology, you know, because, you know, she was, uh, she was a feminist, and she thought, you know, you know we can, you know, use theology as a, as a weapon. Anyway, she ended up coming out an atheist. Oh, they, they convinced her in those theological uh, studies that God either doesn't exist or if he exists, you know, I mean, he really doesn't have anything to do with us. It is Freemasonry. Mm, I got it. it is, wow. Okay. So, yeah. so this is what I had to deal with. Well, so trying to find a seminary was difficult. So I went to the Norbertines, which was at that time, the most conservative seminary in the world, except for Archbishop Lefebvre's seminary in Econ. He started that in the 19, uh, 1971, and, um, and that was in Econ, Switzerland. 
and he started a traditional seminary. And everybody was up in arms, you know, why is he doing that? I mean, you know, we're in the new age. It's, it's the, you know, the new order. Why is he, why is he keeping everything the same as it was? And well, he, because he knew it had to be because the church doesn't change. God doesn't change. The truth doesn't change and the church doesn't change. So the church, the Catholic church exists today, but it's now been reduced to a remnant throughout the world. And there are, there are uh, a few million of us or whatever, but, um, but they are still, uh, you know, they're still uh, organized throughout the world. And it's all, you know, part of it, not all of it, but a great part of it is due to the efforts of Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre, who actually saved the faith. He was the Saint Athanasius of the 20th century. So, so anyway, so then I went to the Norbertine Seminary, where um, actually it was a monastery, but it was a seminary too. Um, but I went to the Norbertine Seminary, where they said the Novus Ordo, but they said it in Latin, and they said it ad orientum. In other words, the 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 altar was against the wall, and the priest w- back was to the people. So they did they did whatever they could to make the Novus Ordo as traditional as possible, and keep it as Catholic as possible. So they were really against the tide uh, even then. And um, anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a really long story, but you get, you get the drift. Um, So then I went from there uh, after that was after Loyola. I went to, to the monastery. Then I, I, I left the monastery realizing that they were becoming a little too monastic for me. It really was something that um, the new the new priests were saying we have to you know we have to sort of insulate ourselves against the world and against the, you know the outside anybody on the outside and I had a, a much more of a Franciscan spirit uh, of wanting to go out and and be with the people like Mother Teresa so I decided that I left that seminary. And then I was accepted into the seminary up here in Menlo Park, um, St. Patrick's. And it was a thoroughly modernist seminary. So I got to see the belly of the beast from the inside. And I saw exactly how they do this and how they twisted things, how they would teach us. But see, the thing is they hated me because they knew that I knew they knew that I knew what they were doing. And I would always ask questions that weren't, that would sort of put them on their heels. In other words, I just ask a, just a simple question, father, you know, what about this? And what about that? And, um, and, sort of acting ignorant when I asked the question, but it was a question designed 
to put them in a situation where they were damned if they said anything and they were damned if they didn't say anything. Yay. <laughs> in, in fact, I, I put this, uh, this one professor, one, you know, uh, priest, and he was, uh, he was, he was a moral theologian, moral, and I'm putting that in quotations, moral theologian. Um, and I, uh, I asked him a question in such a way that he knew that, if he answered it, any way that he answered it, he would have put himself, he would either put himself in opposition to what he had just said, or he would deny the faith. So what he did was he stood there and he stared at me and he started shaking. Oh, dear. In other words, he was so angry, but he knew he couldn't like throttle me. <laughs> but everybody in the in the class, they were just like looking at him, like, "Oh my God, you know, this guy is about ready to blow up in front of us." And and then he just changed the subject and went on to start, you know, spewing his lies about something else. So. So they understood that I knew exactly what was going on. So after two years, they they uh, kicked me out, and that's that, uh, there, there's another book, by the way. Yeah. But anyway, when they kicked me out, they said they said, uh, uh, well, there's something wrong with him because he's rigid authoritarian and fundamentalistic when it comes to the teachings of the church, but he's pastorally effective and wonderfully uh, connects with all the parishioners and people. <laughs> how, can, how can he do both? There's something yeah. wrong with this guy. He's like schizophrenic. <laughs> so they couldn't understand the, the fact that you have to have truth in order to be able to love. Right. You can, you, you can have human affection, but you can't love somebody unless you know who they are. And you can only love people to the degree that you know them. Mm-hmm. And that's why Christ gave us the Catholic faith. That's why he gave us the deposit of faith, which Catholic Church has preserved. All these thousands of years, has preserved it and is preserving it even now with all, with all the attacks of the enemy against it, the truth is still preserved. And it's that truth is, that's the foundation of our ability to love God. Uh-huh. You, can, you can only love what you know. You can't love what you don't know. Yeah, and because so that much... It's hidden, you know, like it's like the uh, patriot movement that we're all involved in. You try to explain it to people, but unless they know, it doesn't sound, it sounds like you're crazy. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, you have to know, you have to be well studied and you have to figure it out. So I imagine all of that is what threw you into mystical theology and the paranormal and the demonology field. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You were already busting open all the lies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I could see it. And I, I mean, you know, I was a witness to it. Mm-hmm. So you, I'll, I'll, I'll never, you the, I'll never go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm Who's all right. Charles Jordan here. I just got to ask a question. Would okay, you say go ahead, that yeah. the 
would you say that the phenomenon that we're seeing in Washington, D.C. is a consequence of the uh, changes in the Catholic Church that have impacted directly on our institution, the U.S. government? And I leadership? would, Al. Yeah. I would. I would give yeah. that percent. Yeah, you know what? I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you something, Al. Yeah. There's an old saying an old, old saying in the Catholic Church, as the church goes, so goes the world. If you walk into a Catholic Church today and talk to the people sitting in those pews, you you wouldn't believe they were Catholic. I I can't believe that they are Catholic. Anthony, that's uh, this is Rose Lear, another one of our uh, longtime contributors. Like you and I, wrote. I was Catholic. I was going to Catholic grade school in the fifth and the oh, early good for you. And yeah. my Catholic school was very different from even the other Catholic schools nearby us. There was a triology of three Catholic churches. They each had their own school. And ours was the Polish. Mm. And let me tell you, the nuns drilled into us what communism was, and the nuns told us over and over that we needed to pay attention and appreciate the education they were giving us because all those other kids out there that you know aren't getting this education. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. When I would go to the other churches, just from the time that I was out of school, got married, had two children, and then they they were old enough to start CCD classes because I didn't send them to a Catholic school. Right. I could not believe the change. When they came home and showed me they learned in, in catechism class, and I'm going, what's this? <laughs> right. That, this isn't Catholic. What is this? Yeah. My, and then, my, my mother. My, yeah. And then when my kids were in, in high school, the church that we were attending, the, the people, and there were some people that didn't like the priest. <laughs> they were working right. to get this other priest in there, and they succeeded. Mm. He was somebody I went to grade school with. Is that right? That's right. And when I was teaching confirmation class, and then the very next year, they told me I wasn't going to teach confirmation anymore to the ninth graders that they were moving confirmation up to uh, 11th or 12th grade. They brought me the sex education course that they were teaching in the public high school and told me I was going to be teaching that. And I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute here. This is the Catholic Church. We are teaching our kids abstinence. We don't teach them birth control. We don't believe in birth control. 
especially to ninth graders. I went, went to the priest whom I went to grade school with. And he looked at me and said, well, I, I looked at that program and I approved it. Right. So, Al, did you have uh, did you have one more comment before we get back I, to? I, I, I did. I did. My mother okay. was Opus Dei, um, oh. and and she would tell me when I was a child that the change in the church, not because of the church, it's because of the people in the church. I looked at her as a small child, and I said, "What are you talking about?" And she would say, "She said you can't ask that question." It was about the time when. The, the Latin mass became English, the English mass. But right. a few years later, a few years later, a few years later, priest that married my first wife and I decided to monkey around with the nuns. This is in New York, Archbishop Kellenberg's uh, 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 place. It's outside of New York City. Mm. And I asked my mother about, about it again. She wouldn't answer. She couldn't answer. Right. So right. At, the, at the age of 16, I said, you know what? This doesn't make any sense to me at all. I'll see you later. I'm not coming back to this. And I never stepped back in other than to go with my mother from time to time when I visit with her ever again because of all those kinds of things. This became ridiculous, I thought. And now I see it again. We used to be talking about what's going on in the church, and I see McCabe and Comey, et cetera, doing what they're doing and behaving like the priests did. I'm thinking, am I watching... Civilians in the government, or am I watching madmen priests that have lost their marbles? That's why I made right. the comment I did before. That's really all I got to say. Just, yeah. good. Well, I can see, I can see why. Uh, I mean, I left the Catholic Church at 16, didn't know all the stuff that Alan and Rose and you knew at the time. It was just a really strong feeling. But I can see why you would get pushed into studying mystical theology and the paranormal and then demonology. Oh. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, that's that's exactly right. I mean, you have to you, you know, forewarned is forearmed, and as a matter of fact, that's the book I'm writing right now. Um, after I wrote the, this Valley of Tears, I am now writing a book called uh, As a Roaring Lion, and uh, that is about. Uh, it's demonology, but it's about the je- the devil and his agenda, what he is attempting to do, and how he attempts, how he uses what he does, what he knows, how he uses it to destroy souls and send them to hell. This is this is and and see we you know the 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 new the new Catholic Church the Novus Ordo Catholic Church uh, teaches that there's no hell. I mean, and if there is a hell, only only uh, traditionalists and patriots go there, not not uh, not uh, you know uh, somebody who you know uh, you know violates the Ten Commandments. I mean, what are those? Those are just ten suggestions. They're not Ten Commandments. And so, when you have that kind of a thing. All of these, we've we've had now two generations that have grown up being lied to and thinking that what they're being taught is Catholicism. And they haven't been taught Catholicism. And one out of every hundred of those kids 
has the grace or has the cooperation with grace to realize that there's something wrong and they start to rebel against it. And I'm going to tell you something that's a very interesting phenomenon. I have seen the young people who have never attended a traditional Latin Mass. When they attend the traditional Latin Mass, they never want to go back to the Novus Ordo. Mm-hmm. They only they they only want that. That's that they go. Well, this is what. This is what I always believed the Catholic Church was all about. And it is. Because lex arande, lex credendi. You pray as you believe. If you go into a Catholic Church today in, in any parish in the United States, and they're banging the tambourine and they're strumming guitars, guitars. and you and you have... Uh, you have uh, uh, female uh, um, liturgical dancing and all this other bull crap. Then, then that's what you think that the church is. It's supposed to be like that, you know. It, it's supposed to be like 1960s entertainment or something. I mean, the Protestants have more entertainment than that, and they don't have a mass, so <laughs> we can't e- we can't even do Protestantism well. Well, you know, I mean, it, it, it is entertainment. I mean, they burnt the church in the town that I went to the to the ground. The, the, it was unbelievable. The place called Saint Edward's, Saint Edward's the Confessor in Syosset, New York, on the north shore of Long Island. They wow. burnt the place to the ground, and they didn't do it just once. They did it four or five times. They kept burning it and burning it and burning it. And they build it. Someone come along and burn it. Nobody ever got arrested. Yeah, how interesting going on here? Yeah, you know, yeah. That was Kellenberg. That was Kellenberg's diocese. Uh, that you know, you uh, may have uh, heard that name. You may have. Yeah, heard. I've I, I've I've heard. I mean, New York really got hit with it. Um, and the problem with it was that you had Spellman in there for a long yep. time, and he was, yep. and he kept everything really. You know, he had an iron fist, and he kept everything under control. It's, as soon as he died, it went to crap. And, I mean, you know, and it was the same here when we had uh, McIntyre. He kept the lid down on it. And then uh, as soon as he died, it just went to crap. I mean, it was bad. And then we had, uh, well, we had Manning, and he was semi-good. And then we had, uh, you know, uh, Mahoney, who's uh, just a joke. But anyway, um, I didn't mean to, you know, go off on all this, on all these tangents. But it no, that does it does play into the whole concept of exactly what. So so you'll you'll see that the new world order was all moving in the direction of a consolidation. And you know the UN is a perfect uh, is the 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 Tower of Babel, if you will, of the of the uh, one world order. That, I mean, it was, yeah, that's this why is, Trump, Trump pulled us out of there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. He's not going to give them the money and and uh, all of that. So 
so, but it, it, we have to constantly thank God that that He heard our prayers for uh, Donald Trump. But but um, but the thing is, is that the, the communists did exactly the same thing. You know, Joe McCarthy was absolutely right. He saw exactly what was going on, and he did his damnedest to try and stop it, but it was too late. It was too late. They had infiltrated into every nook and corner of the of the government, and they were already in there. And half of those guys, that, no, three quarters of the guys that are in there now are communists or communist sympathizers or useful idiots. But one way or the other, it's it's everywhere. But they're throughout the bureaucracy. That's why we have oh. to kill the bureaucracy. You have to yep. kill it. There's no other there's no other way of getting around it. The bureaucracy has to die because it is there that they're doing all their malicious work. Well, yeah, well, we figured that out with SES and uh, the Queen's well, involvement in our government and yeah, all yeah, that stuff right. is coming our, out. Yeah, it's coming out and it's coming out fast. <laughs> but our government but our government's been overthrown already. Our oh yeah, no, overthrown already. Well, oh, that's right. Yeah. And I think that I think the Declaration of Independence has it exactly right. The blood of, of patriots will be shed, you know. And I, this is, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, you know, to, to uh, about around the tree of liberty. We don't have the country that we thought we had in 1776. What we have is a military dictatorship run by people like Nancy Pelosi, you know, mm-hmm. from your state, and uh, Kalia Harris. From what from Los Angeles, and Jerry so Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris is from uh, uh, San Francisco. They're all from okay. San Francisco. They're all they're really, all corrupt. Yeah, and I really yeah. do believe that it, it the more comes out every day with the history of this thing. Like today, with uh, Trump meeting with um, with the the the, the Philip the Sixth, King Philip the Sixth. Oh, yeah. who, who really has a lot more power than, uh, you know, the Queen's freaking out that, that, that he was allowed in there because their plan for all the stuff they were going to do was usurped by Trump's arrival on the scene. <laughs> so it, it's, cr- it's crumbling like crazy, uh, lots faster than most people realize, and I have a lot of faith in that happening. Well, one so. thing that I want, uh, one thing I would like to uh, explain to all of your audience Sure, go ahead. The man that is sitting right now on the throne of Peter is not Catholic. You have to know that. that the Pope is not Catholic. So when somebody says, oh, you're more Catholic than the Pope, you can say, yes, I am. <laughs> Because he he does not hold the Catholic faith, and that's a very important thing. Because even though he, it's just like look, we had Obama, you know, the the illegal alien from Indonesia, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we had Obama in there, and you know, uh, uh, until until a Congress would have the balls to to uh, condemn him and say, uh, hello, you're not even American, get the hell out, nothing is going to happen. All mm-hmm. of his 
all of his uh, edicts, all of his stuff, Trump has to go through. He has to eliminate as much as possible, which he has been doing, thank God. And yeah. but 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 what I'm saying is is that this is exactly what we have right now in the papacy. So right. so so a Catholic, a real Catholic, a Catholic who knows their faith and understands it, is never going to adhere or obey that. Mm-hmm. Just like you, just like you uh, did not respect Obama because he's right. not uh, not even an American. Uh, mm-hmm. Why would you respect this guy who isn't a Catholic, but he holds the the most sacred position in the Catholic Church? He holds he holds the power of the keys in the Catholic Church. Right, and he's involved the Jesuits, mm. the warrior monks, and Rothschild and the House of Savoy, and all that would. But, uh, there, shouldn't have been any po- there shouldn't have been any pope, period. I mean, think okay. of it. You had a, a, a Roman emperor, constant. Here we go. Who dec- <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> Here Uh-oh. we go. You want to get into? Go ahead, Anthony. You want to you want to go down that rabbit hole? I don't. I don't. Yeah, we, we want we want to hear. Since we're not going to have this be a very long call, and we are going to have Anthony back so that all something come out. I I have a question. This is Sam. Uh, 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 how did communism take over the Catholic Church? Because you know, uh, Karl Marx, the father of communism, along with Engels, said that. Religion is the opium of the people. He was anti-religion. So how would the right. communists able to infiltrate? Uh, did, the, did the people at that time not know about communism, how they committed all these atrocities, killed the people everywhere? You know? No, of course, of course they knew this. But you have to understand that the Communist Party is like a cancer, and it silently moves throughout each society that it infects and it changes that society slowly, patiently, like spiders. They slowly, patiently spin their webs and then they wait for their prey and then they kill their prey, but they wait and they wait and they wait and they wait. And this is exactly what the communists did. It was a very slow process. Now, why did they do it or why would they even? Because they understood that the Catholic Church was their greatest enemy. The influence of the Catholic Church was worldwide in every country. And because of that, they had to infiltrate it and corrupt it from within in order to take the teeth out of it. It was the one entity that was opposing them in every movement that they made internationally. And they had to stop the Catholic Church from doing what it was doing. They did the same thing to the Russian Orthodox Church. They infiltrated the Russian Orthodox Church and they destroyed it from within. So that now the, the, the Russian Orthodox who are still Orthodox won't go to those churches. They go to the churches that, are, that, that broke away and kept the Orthodox religion in, uh, you know, complete. 
And so here in San Francisco is the headquarters of that. In San Francisco, they came and they brought relics of the czar and the czarina and the children as martyrs, and they brought those here. And those bishops are the bishops that have been um, going since, since the Russian Revolution. And this is where the Russian Orthodox Church remains Orthodox and not infiltrated by the communists as they did in Russia with KGB agents and, and the whole works. Can, so, I, can I say something about say something about this just for a moment? Yes. I'm in Washington. Sorry. Yes. So just, I can be quiet if you want. But I'm in no, no, Washington no. D.C. South Jordan, and, I, and it's the one thing I okay. have to say. We are being snookered by somebody else, and it's not the Catholic Church, and it's not the communists, it's not by other people, etc. Where do you think the second largest Mormon conclave is in the world? Yes, just guess. The where do you see largest? on the beltway? Yeah, the second. Where do you see the? Where do you see the? Where do you see a very large monument on the beltway which surrounds the the uh, the Capitol? Who do you think? Who do you think runs the NSA, CIA, and the FBI? But they're not the leadership. They're second and third in command. Would you want to guess? I would assume that they are the Mormons, according to you. You betcha. You betcha. And the first thing that they did when they got to Salt Lake was to send somebody to Washington, D.C., and then on to Liverpool, England, from where my wife is from. And <sighs> everything that they do, including the canning factories, and I was with them for five years, having every kind of weapon you can think of at my disposal um, is what everybody got. They look like just Normal suit wearing, nice folks. Don't cross them. Right. Yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> you know, but the, okay. the, the fact is, one day I'm sitting in, I'm sitting in, 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 in the moment directly before my wife said, If you don't get out of here, I'm going to divorce you. One of them said to me, <laughs> I could shut down the entire missile system of this country with a flip of a switch. Looked over at and he realized he didn't say it to the right person. Uh-oh. He went white. Yeah. He went white. And I didn't say a word to anybody. I just said it to my wife. She said, you say that, and we're all dead. I said, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, was, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but um, um, we've, we've made a commitment to Steve because he has to get up at 3 in the morning and he lives on the East Coast. That okay. We're going to end the call. We're going to end the call at about, uh, uh, about another 20 minutes. So I would like you to be, and then we're going to have you back. So don't worry, everybody will be able to talk in depth with Anthony about these other issues uh, when Fred's back with us. Um, okay, so can I, I just kind of recap what you wanted to finish talking with before that we started a Q&A before we were actually intending to, but it's, uh, it's you're gracious for, you know, letting us interrupt you and, and go in the, some of these other directions, but uh, go ahead and finish off whatever you want to do and what we well, were going to, and then okay. we could hear a little bit about you, from you about your financial strategy, because I know there's okay. people on waiting waiting for that part of the show. <laughs> okay, all right. So let me let me uh, let me uh, do uh, let me let me shamelessly and uh, pleadingly plug my new book. Um, okay. Yes. That, let's that not interrupt book. him, anyone, please. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. No, that's fine. That new book is called This Valley of Tears. 
this Valley of Tears, and it is a comprehensive study excuse me, of the origins, meaning, and value of suffering. This is something that I wanted, I've been wanting to write for a long time. It's a small little book. It's only 110 pages. But it is packed with information. Um, it, is, it is somewhat of a, a, a catechism about the Catholic Church, uh, but, it's, but it's using the central spirituality of the Catholic Church, which is the cross. And so what this does is it shows how, why we suffer. And I think this is something that most people don't even, you know, they, they just don't even think about, they, but you will have heard it or you will have thought it yourself. How many times have you thought or have you heard or you... You know, any number of people have said to you, if God is so good, that's how it starts. If God, if your God, I've heard that, if your God is so good, why do so many people suffer so much? Why do children suffer? Why do they have cancer? Why, why, why does he allow war? and persecution, and all these evils in the world. Why? If he's so good, why doesn't he stop it? This book answers that question in spades. Oh, can't wait to read that. Yeah, this book will answer that question definitively for you, and you will understand how God uses because of our lord jesus christ how god uses suffering for the sanctification of the world yes our suffering our suffering we become as it were with this suffering that we all endure every single i don't care how rich you are i don't care how poor you are, we all suffer the cross. And the rich will run away from the cross, and the poor will run away from the cross the first chance they get. And what happens is, when you run away from the cross, it catches up to you in spades. Normally, when you run away from the cross, it's some form of addiction. You're trying to anesthetize yourself. And so this book answers all those questions, all those thoughts, and it does it in a way that's very easy to read, but is packed with the truth. And they're nuggets of gold. I had a Jewish man read this, and he said, Anthony, your book is filled with nuggets of gold. No. Wow. That's pretty, well, you've got that's great, pretty you've good. Got, you've got five out of five star reviews on your book. Yeah. Well, so that's, I don't that's have a, as many reviews as I want. I want about, I, I, I've had 30 people tell this to my face and I have like four reviews. I mean, it's, it's sort of uh, 
disappointing. But listen, it's only it's only um, twelve dollars. Twelve dollars on Amazon. Please, I'm begging you, buy this book. Buy this book. Send it to as many people as you can. Get let them know because this answers so many questions. And you will finally, even if you don't believe what I'm telling you, you will at least know what the Catholic Church really teaches and why it teaches what it teaches. And and it's very simple. So So the, the title is The Valley of Tears, a Comprehensive Study of the Origins, Meaning, and Value of Suffering in Paperback. And, you, and it was written in January of 2018? Right. Or you, and you it published it in AJ, 2018? AJ West, right. And um, all you have to do is if you go to Amazon and you, and you go to the search, just put in This Valley of Tears, AJ West, and it'll come right up. It's at the very top of the list. And it and it has a um, it has the picture of Adam and Eve being expelled from the Garden of Eden by Michelangelo. That's on the Sistine Chapel. So this gives you a, a really good uh, uh, that that picture really says everything about what's in the book. But wow, well that sounds really exciting. And then you have a fiction book as well. The um... See if I can remember the name of it's it. A, it's a it's a it's a faction book, oh. and it's it's actually out of print right now. But I am planning on re having it reprinted. But it's part one, and I'm going to reprint it when I finish part two. It's called the 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 trilogy. The title of the trilogy, like the Lord of the Rings, the title of the trilogy is Wolves Among the Ruins. And part one is the prince dethroned. And the prince mm-hmm. is, is the devil. And this book is based on uh, the, uh, the writings of Malachi Martin, uh, who was actually a good friend of mine, um, and is 85% factual. It is a it is a uh, comprehensive look at what has happened to the Catholic Church. Now, what's interesting about this book? There's a couple of things that are interesting about this book. First of all, it took me about eight years to write the book, and I published it in 2005. Now, 2005, it was published on March 28th of 2005. And on April 5th, 2005, Pope John Paul II died. The the first line of the first chapter, I have a prologue, which I think a lot of your uh, listeners would love, but the the first chapter begins with the, the sentence, Pope John Paul was dead. So oh. this was this was published a week before his death, but it was saying Pope John Paul was dead. Now there's a conclave. And in my book, the conclave 
they, the cardinals, because of the turmoil in the church caused by Second Vatican Council and all that, um, the cardinals cannot make a decision as to who they're going to choose to be pope. Cardinal Ravensburg, who represents Cardinal Ratzinger, um, is is uh, up for you know papabili and so on and so forth, but he doesn't get it, and they and they are at they are in a deadlock, and it's a month into this thing, and there's all kinds of things happening in the world because of the fact that this is because there's no pope, so they finally decide on this bishop. He's a he's a bishop in Palencia, Spain, who. Um, is known for his works of charity, but is also known to be very balanced when it comes to, you know, uh, the the left and the right, and, and and so on and so forth. So somebody nominates him, <coughs> which is very unusual because it's not a card. He's not a cardinal, even though he's slated to to take the red hat eventually. <laughs> somebody nominates him and he is elected unanimously, which never happens. This was a miracle. And so when he's contacted and he's brought to Rome, he chooses the name Francis to be to be his name as Pope. So this was how many years um excuse me, Uh, so many years before Francis was elected. I mean, it was like almost 10 years before Francis was elected. So that I I think is very interesting that I said all that before before it happened. Anyway. Yeah, that is. And... um... Uh, I, I didn't mean to uh, insult uh, you, Al or Rose, by cutting you off because what you said was very interesting, and and we could keep talking after uh, Steve shuts the show down if you if you want to stay on because uh, it's uh, almost ten after seven, and I told Steve we would end it a quarter after, and I know it isn't enough time for this amazing guest, but Fred promised he would bring him back on in the very near future, and then Sam and everyone can come in and share their wisdom and ask these brilliant questions that they always ask, and. Uh, uh, maybe we could cover the financial stuff. <laughs> I would really, we really like to hear the financial strategist. So, is there any uh, is there any questions that you know I can answer briefly? You mean about what you said already, or about what you? No, no, the no. About strategy? the financial, you guys are asking about the financial stuff. I know. Well, it. it I think that's a whole other show. Yeah, How I think that? so, and I think we'd love to have you back for that for sure. Because usually we go we go a couple of hours, uh, uh, Anthony. But oh, okay. um, it's just that tonight it's kind of a, a, a different circumstances. Of he's our producer in North Carolina, and he. Right. He has an unusually early morning, and I uh, it's very difficult for him to get one hour sleep and then work for eight or ten hours, 12 hours oh, yeah, the next day. That's terrible, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we will have you back, and everyone, Al and Rose and everything, thank you so much for participating because it, it really means a lot, and, and, and you've got good questions, and you too, Sam. And so we'll have you back, and then we'll, we'll talk to Fred, and we'll do it in the pretty near future if you're amenable to that. Yeah, absolutely. 
Just let me because know. There's a lot, there's a lot of knowledge uh, among these people on the call about the subjects that you're covering, and, and I think it would make a, a, a brilliant call. And, of course, Fred is much more versed in a lot of the details of Catholic, Catholic Church and different things, as you know, because aren't you an old friend of Fred's? Or, um, um, or his, you're a friend of a friend? The, yes, I'm a friend of a friend. Right, right. The, fr- right. the gentleman we had on... Um, Let's see. Was it Donald Mechia? John, yeah, John Mecha. Right. Mecha, and that's where you and Fred met was through Don Don Mecha. Correct. Correct. Oh, okay. So you haven't yeah. known him as long as Don, but you're you're familiar with each other and. Correct. And you were listening in on the call we had with him. Is that correct? No, I, or, I never heard that call. I, I didn't oh, okay. I, I didn't even know about it until afterwards. He, he told me oh, about okay. it. So Yeah, there's an archive on our website at AU Network. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, so it, it's it's like the third call down and this call will be archived there too, Anthony. So Oh that's great. Yeah, so it's a it's a pleasure having had you on. We really enjoyed you have so knowledgeable and I was uh, worried I wouldn't do you justice because <laughs> some of these subjects aren't I'm not real versed in, but um I'd like to hear more about some of the rest of what you were talking about, the mystical theology and Oh yeah, that's a now that's a that's a whole other show. <laughs> yeah, and I'm interested in that. I I we founded a, a church in nineteen seventy four here in Portland, uh, that went for many, many years. And I spent a lot of my adult life working through that. I'm an ordained reverend and uh-huh. it's non-denominational, but I was raised in the Catholic church. But anyway, the mystical part of it, the paranormal, I really dug deeply into all of that because I understood that there was much more to the story than was being told. You know, we were coming out of exactly. the and <laughs> nothing was, yeah. was true anymore, you know, and that was the one area where I, I felt like I, would, I should be serving, you know. It's a similar to what you right. probably went through. So um, so good. Well, we'll, we'll um, let cool. Steve uh, in the recording, and then it'll be archived. And um, I have your email, so I, I would like to send you just send you something that I've been looking at just and see what you think about okay. it. Okay, great. And so um, if anyone wants to stay on and if you, if you want to stay on Anthony and chat, you're welcome to. Otherwise you in American underground network. Okay, I guess that's it. I, I have to go actually, but yeah. Okay, um, but, good. Cause we would say it would be an hour. Thank so you much. Yeah, oh, thank you so, so much for, you know, that was that was wonderful. Oh, well, thank you very much for the, your patience and thanks Rowan uh, Rosanelle and we'll get we'll we'll do our strategy call with you cuz we really want to pick your brain about what you're doing. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. All right, thanks Al. Okay, bye. bye. Okay, yep, thanks, thanks Anthony. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks Al. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Yeah, you you had some good questions. I was just, I hate to have a time, uh, you know, limitation on what we're doing, but I was trying to manage it in a way that we could at least get something. This top this topic is so large. We could be oh, it's huge. Four hours. I know, I know, and I, I know Sam had stuff, and and each one of with the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.